From Miami Law, I'm Annette Uges, and this is The Explainer. If the question is, are the courts catching up with the media, I'm not so sure. It's, it's still as hard as it's ever been to convince a court to grant relief on a wrongful conviction. The work is still as hard as it's ever been. It, I don't see that changing anytime, anytime soon. Welcome back to the Miami Law Explainer, the legal affairs podcast where Miami law experts lend context and historical relevance to today's headlines. As the entertainment industry turns more frequently to stories of the wrongfully accused and wrongfully imprisoned for storylines, Miami Law's Innocence Clinic director Craig Trochino tracks a shot into operations like his throughout the nation. Let's go to executive producer Catherine Skip with the interview. So I'm starting to see a lot of things in in entertainment uh, about uh, incarcerated innocents like Central Park Five, Just Mercy. Uh, there's a new ABC show coming out. Is is that mirrored in the system? Are we seeing more of of people that are long held getting exonerated? Well, there's continually exonerations year in, year out. The National Registry of Exonerations, uh, last time I looked at it, had over 2,400 exonerations since 19, since they've been keeping records in 1989. Uh, 2017, I think, was a record year. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's no slowdown in exonerations. There's no slowdown in wrongful convictions. If the question is, are the courts catching up with the media? I'm not so sure. It's, it's still as hard as it's ever been to convince a court to grant relief on a wrongful conviction. The work is still as hard as it's ever been. It, I don't see that changing anytime, anytime soon. But that being said, with the popular media of you know movies like 13th that you mentioned, and when they see us, the, the, the story about uh, the, the exonerated five, formerly called the Central Park Five, right. um, then there's Just Mercy. Uh, there's the new show f- uh, f- uh, um, for life that's based on based on a true story. And then the other one that just came out over, uh, over the summer is uh, the story of Brian Banks. Mm-hmm. Um, those, are all tr- those are all stories that are true or based on true. With Just Mercy and Brian Banks, they're actually the real stories about the real people involved in the real cases and the real individuals. With uh, For Life, it's based on somebody else's life. They changed the names mm-hmm. and, and for, for dramatic effect on it. So you're, you're saying that, that the legal part of it's not changing, but maybe it's sexy enough to have gotten the attention of entertainment. Yeah. Well, it's like they're compelling stories. Um, you know, let's take the Brian Banks case, for instance, is a, is a, a young man in California who was a top football prospect. And then he gets accused of a, a rape in, in high school that he didn't do. Um, and based on the way the system works, he was a child, he was 17 years old at the time, being tried as an adult um, and uh, given a very short time at the, at the foot of the trial to either go to trial and face potentially life in prison or take a plea, mm-hmm. which his lawyer apparently told him that he'd get probation. Mm-hmm. So not having anybody around him, his mother, his family, because now he's an adult, um, he ends up taking a no contest plea. The judge doesn't do probation and sends him to six years in prison, followed by five years of probation. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the, it's the story about him trying to clear his name. And he contacts the California Innocence Project, which is what we do at the Miami Innocence Project, but in San Diego. And the lawyers there 
um, reluctantly didn't want to take the case at first because he was out of prison, mm-hmm. uh, and then eventually took on the case. And the the, the young lady who accused him recanted because mm-hmm. uh, it was all it was none of it was true, and he was he was exonerated. Nice ending to the story because he was a star football player. He ended up working out, working out, working out, and ended up playing several years with the uh, with the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, sorry, spoiler alert. I, I probably should have mentioned that. At right. The beginning. <laughs> 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 um, but still, there's that what if right. he had had those playing years back. Exactly. Exactly. And that's, you know, that's what it's about. And that's an, it's a great movie because it shows exactly what I do every day with my students. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's scenes in it where where um, the, the gentleman portrayed in his name's Justin Brooks, who's the, the uh, director of the California Innocence or Project. Pretty. Right. But he, I mean, he's a real guy. I know him. Mm-hmm. In fact, I use his book in my wrongful convictions class. Um, and he's tremendous. And he's been doing it for a very long time. Uh-huh. And But they show him in class answering, student, answering students' questions about cases and him uh, having to unfortunately tell him, look, this is really, really, really hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't just walk into court with that. You need something more. You need something extraordinary to convince the court. And it's nice to see that accurately portrayed. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do they get wrong, these shows, m- most often? Um, I don't, I, I have not seen for life, so I'm not, I can't comment on that. Um, I don't think Brian Banks and Just Mercy get anything wrong. I mean, some of it might be a little overly you know, dramatic for dramatic effect, but especially Just Mercy, which is based on Brian Stevenson's book of the same name, which, I, you know, and I'm familiar with both the movie and the book. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it got, I think it got everything right. Uh, you know, the, the angst that the families feel, the angst that the lawyers feel, the pressure involved in it, and the fact that when you're doing this type of work, always, without exception, you are representing the poor and the voiceless, mm-hmm. right? And if there's a mirror to be put up, if media is putting up a mirror to the court, it's not mirroring what's happening in the court. It's showing the court to look at itself. Mm-hmm. It's saying, here are all these circumstances where young, impoverished people were thrust into the system for something they didn't do. And it was so easy to convict them, yet so monumentally difficult to right that wrong. Mm-hmm. And the pressure that's involved in the, the years and hours of work that goes into it, I think is accurately portrayed in both uh, the Brian Banks movie and the Just Mercy movie. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think these movies help us as potential jurors be more accepting of of innocence or more skeptical of guilt? I, that's a great question. I would I would hope so um, because it's almost the tail end of the CSI phenomenon. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a you know CSI and you know West Lafayette now. <laughs> um, uh, no, the Dairy Queen edition, right? Exactly. No, no offense to my friends from Purdue uh, on that, uh, but. You know, that did have a significant impact on what jurors expect in a criminal trial. They expect scientific evidence now. They expect fingerprints. They expect DNA. They expect hair and fiber Mm -hmm. stuff. Uh, They don't expect that the person sitting at that table might be innocent, that the the system might have gotten it wrong. Mm -hmm. Uh, But maybe now that they'll see these cases, these real cases, they might be more inclined to question, which is what I'd hope jurors do, Question the evidence presented and hold the state or hold the government to the to the you know the promise of their burden of proof beyond a reasonable doubt. Right. Well, I mean, just just mercy is that 
I mean, it's the perfect arc of a story. Guy gets in, in prison. He keeps getting nailed. You know, worse things, worse thing, worse thing. And then he finally crawls out at the end. Yay, we all clap. Um, but the belief that the jury has, the public has in their in their sheriff, you know, in their in their def- um, prosecutors. Right. You know, so, yeah, I agree with you. It, it does sort of go, whoa. Hmm. Yeah, but you also you where are can't, the politics here? What should I? Who do I listen? Well, to? there it's not just politics; it's socioeconomics. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you if you really look at it, um, you know none of these folks had any money. None of these folks had any influence or power or resources, um, and that's how they ended up where they are. Because the system historically doesn't care, uh, and I don't know where it stopped caring on it, but. I see it day in day out. Um, once you're convicted, the amount of effort, the amount of the, the size of mountain you have to move, even with a demonstrably innocent client, um, is it's the the task is Herculean on a regular basis. But if basis. you're Jeffrey Epstein, right through. Well, that's that's a very interesting point because then you you let's talk about the rule of law, right? It seems as though the rule of law applies with full force to the Brian Bankses of the world, um, you know, and, and, and to, and to the, the, all these other, to the, the, the central park, uh, exonerated, mm-hmm. uh, young men, it, it applies in full force to them. But you have a guy like Jeff Epstein, who by all accounts, everybody knew what he was doing and it gets swept away because his lawyers made it too difficult for the government to prosecute it. Now there's no way Brian Banks is going to have the resources to make the state attorney's office in San Diego make it too difficult for him to to make to, him work for the conviction, right? Um, so those folks in that predicament, more likely than not, will have the system roll over them. That's not to say that everybody in the system is innocent. That's not true. But 2,400 exonerations since 1989 with uh, the with an, uh, over 20,000 years spent in prison for crimes that weren't committed by the person who's serving the time, those are staggering numbers. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and it is somewhat political because many of these people are running for office and they're touting their conviction rate. So who are you going to go after? The guy that's easy to get so you have these great conviction rates or the guy that's going to you know, spend a ton of your office's time and energy chasing their tail. Right. Um, and and you see, actually, you even see in, in, in Florida, there's data on uh, on the context of the death penalty where, you know, there's a political race going on. The instance of uh, uh, death prosecutions and death sentences or pursuing death sentence increases dramatically during those times, mm-hmm. especially in what you would call tough on crime states. Right. Um, so... Is there anything right about the system and and what's most broken about it? Well, what's right about the system is that after um, any particular case, after years of bashing your head into a concrete wall, eventually that concrete wall is going to crack um, and then you get some traction hmm. like 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 Mr. Banks did. Right. Uh, or like, your head shatters. One of the, other. One of the two. Right. Um, uh, either way, it's colorful. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, so that, that there's an avenue to pursue these claims, I guess, is right. That avenue has been narrowed uh, procedurally over the years to make 
the task even that much more difficult. So there is some right in the system, but there's plenty of wrong in the system. It's underfunded. Public defense is radically underfunded, um, radically overworked. Um, you know, on, on average, the, the average public defender has a few minutes to meet with a client to, to you know, just consult with and decide and have a life-changing decision of mm-hmm. what do you want to go to trial or not. Um, and, and sometimes those, the, that advice is given on not full information to the point where the United States Supreme Court ruled a few years ago that a lawyer, defense lawyer can be ineffective at the plea bargaining stage. Right, mm-hmm. and they made a they made a point in pointing out in these two two companion decisions, uh, then that we don't have a system of trials anymore in the United States. We have a system of pleas, right? So it so the cases that I deal with, um, uh, and most um, uh, innocence efforts deal with, um, are not pleas, mm-hmm. right? There are many instances of people who pled guilty to something they didn't do. Mm-hmm. Brian Banks, in particular. Um, but it makes it that much more difficult when there is a plea. When there's a trial, there's a lots of things that can go wrong that you can point to because you actually have evidence that you know is presented and so forth. Right. Uh, but it, it, what's right with the system? Uh, what's wrong far um, outweighs what's right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's not this, – this is not a brand new conversation. No. These numbers have been being tracked since 1989. With the advent of DNA testing, then – a lot of this started coming to light. It's interesting to note that neither of the two cases, and Brian Banks and the Just Mercy case, neither of those were DNA mm-hmm. cases. They were just straight up fact cases, which are all the cases that that I deal with in, in our clinic. Mm-hmm. Um, but it takes a lot of lawyer time, effort, and sophistication to do intensive fact investigation and research. And if you're if you've got 400 cases on your docket as a public defender, and you're barely making what's the equivalent of minimum wage with uh, an $800 a month student loan payment on top of it, mm-hmm. things, something's got to give. And unfortunately, it's the voiceless that give. Would it not be cheaper to fix it on the front end than trying to fix it on the back end? Mm-hmm. Well, if you spend a little more time on the front end doing the research, presenting the case, talking to your client, we'd have fewer innocent people in jail. I mean, your point is that it's because of these pleas that we have a lot of these people, innocent people in prison. But instead of it going to an innocence clinic after, if could we fix it more on the front end? Well, it's not just because of pleas. pleas right. the, if, you, if you go back into the 80s and you look at the, the rate of tr- actual trials versus now, mm-hmm. the, actual, the rate of trials has dropped significantly. There were still wrongful convictions in the 80s. Right. Uh, the vast majority of all those original DNA exonerations were con- 80s convictions. Mm-hmm. So juries got it wrong too. Um, but more money does need to be spent um, and, and, and that would ameliorate part of the problem. Uh, but I don't know if it would solve it completely because there's a, there's a, a, a culture of not paying attention to essentially the voiceless. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you've got big gun lawyers to come in and make a lot of noise, things happen in your way. And if you don't, they don't happen your way. Um, and it's 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 just a sad state when you know the Jeffrey Epstein's of the world get away with what he got away with f- for so long a time, and then you know people who have 
a certain amount of clout and power get pardoned. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think anybody's going to argue that Michael Milken is guilty of, of stealing many, many dollars, especially from grandmother's pension accounts. Mm-hmm. But he's worthy of being pardoned. Um, and the Central Park uh, uh, exonerated five um, are still looked upon by certain people as guilty and bad seeds anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a disconnect, a factual disconnect between someone who's deserving of mercy and someone who isn't. But we seem to draw that deserving line uh, uh, on a ledger of a bank account instead of on the facts and the proof beyond a reasonable doubt. So I'm the thing that always astonishes me when these people are exonerated is the prosecutor who, you know, is going to die on that hill. And it's like, really, you're going to continue to say this person's guilty and it's just a technicality. And I completely can't understand that because it calls into question everything they've done if they actually say, oh, yeah, we blew it. Well, some do and some don't. I mean, some, excuse me, some, some, there are some great prosecutors who will not only, when confronted with the new evidence, agree. Um, there are even great prosecutors who spearhead looking for cases um, in what they call conviction integrity units. Mm-hmm. Some are better than others, but you know, the, the Houston is a good example of one, and uh, I think Brooklyn was another good example of one where prosecutors actually took the lead in finding cases of wrongful conviction and fixing them. They are probably the exception, not the rule on it, uh, but nobody likes to admit they're wrong. Well, I'm thinking of the Central Park Five prosecutor. Uh, didn't she continue to say that she was right, that it was just, that it was fair, yeah, that they she, did everything by the book? She did. She did. Um, and I don't know why um, that was the case. But she's not alone in that. Um, I'm not sure if you look stupider for admitting it or stupider for not admitting it. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I think if you if you make a mistake on the, and you make a mistake with the authority of the system behind you, you're obligated to correct that mistake. Uh, I don't. I don't think if the if the idea of justice means anything at all, then correcting an injustice is just as important as punishing the guilty. Well, let's end on that. <laughs> Thanks, Craig. You're welcome. Thank you. All righty. Thanks for joining us at The Explainer. If you like the show, leave us a five-star review with your podcast provider and ask your friends to subscribe. You can always drop us a comment at explainer at miami.edu. Our show is engineered and edited by Christopher Alzadi with theme music composed by Ray D. Kim from the Frost School of Music. I'm your host, Annette Uguez. Today's episode is brought to you by Miami Law's Mindfulness in Law program, committed to preparing students at the highest levels of academic excellence while providing tools to develop their intellectual gifts and cultivate greater emotional well-being. For more information, visit law.miami.edu forward slash academics forward slash mindfulness dash in dash law dash program. Mm-hmm.